As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The NuxCast is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know that Canucks and NHL ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. And the way the Canucks are playing these days, you're going to want to get your hands on some tickets as well. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download GameTime and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Cast to start the week for you, and hopefully we can have as much fun here on this podcast, Thomas Drance, says they are out on the ice because we have not seen weeks like we have seen over the past seven days in a long, long time. The fun has returned to Van City. It is a stunning level of entertainment that the Canucks are providing for their paying customers, and you know, I do want to caution, however, that fans shouldn't get too excited to expect return performances of this particular seven-goal show that the Canucks put on on Monday because I am certain that they were just putting on the show to celebrate your birthday, J-Pat. It's J-Pat's 50th, and we've got to start by calling that out. We had press box cake in the first period, which was lovely, and you got to watch a period with your family. Before we get into hockey, I just I got to start with that. Happy 50th to the hardest-working man in show business. Yeah, I can't deny it. You cannot run from father time. And I will say my wife and kids got me because they don't give a damn about hockey. They really don't. Like, people can't understand how my kid, my son doesn't like hockey. Like, I'm at every game, home and away. Hockey's not on in our house. And my kids don't care. My wife doesn't care. So the last people I ever expected to see in the press box at a home game were my wife and kids, but uh, they got me. They got me good, and uh, I have to thank the Canucks PR staff because apparently they played along. Uh, the Canucks had a good night on the ice. The PR staff had a great night off the ice because the Botchford family was here as well. Cat Botchford and the kids at the invitation of Travis Green with great uh, outreach by the Canucks, and uh, they got a tour of the locker room after the game and jerseys and everything else. So my family had a great night. I think the Botchards had some fun. 
Canucks PR knocked it out of the park, and then the players on the ice did their thing. So yes, it was my birthday, but enough about me. This is not about <laughs> me. Uh, I am 50 now, but young at heart, and having fun with the podcast. And look, I, I don't know the last time I tweeted this out, but I, I'd love to know. I don't know how anybody would be able to go back and chart it, but to get goals from four different lines, your four offensive lines, in the first 10 minutes of a hockey game. Like, we know they crapped the bed against Washington the other night. And to respond the way they did, to score a minute and a half into the game, have a 3 nothing lead by the six-minute mark, and then to get a goal from each of your four lines in the first 10 minutes, like, it truly is unheard of stuff. Yeah, and, you know, one thing, I mean, I, I refuse to believe that the residue of Friday night didn't dramatically impact the Canucks' performance in this game. And, you know, for me, the sign is when, when a team is generally up five and it's the third period, they tend to get shelled, right? The other team tends to put their foot on the neck and outshoot them by a significant margin. It's called score effects. It's a well-charted, well-researched, well-documented phenomenon in hockey. We saw none of that on Monday night at Rogers Arena. And I refuse to believe that it's not related to the fact that the Canucks understood, having given up a 5-1 lead the other night, that they kind of can't afford to play that way. And you can't afford to play that way in the contemporary NHL. You kind of have to keep going. And they did. They actually controlled the lion's share of shot attempts in the third period, and that never happens when a team is leading by the extent they were. You know, I, I actually asked Brandon Sutter about it post-game, and Brandon Sutter admitted it. But as we were trying to ask Travis about it and really picking at the third period, he would not give an inch. He refused to sort of say that the Washington game, which for him is over and in the rearview mirror and he wasn't going to discuss it, had any impact. And, you know, finally, uh, I think it was Batch asked him, you know, to come back to discuss the third period. And after he refused, uh, <laughs> Jay Pat offered, well, what about the first period? And he laughed and said, well, that's better and actually sort of began to give an answer about how the team played. But, you know, it was a pretty phenomenal performance. I thought that Demko outlet pass to, to sort of start the proceedings uh, was excellent. And, you know, not to cast any aspersions at my former employer very recently, but, you know, JT Miller on that fourth goal, you know, which really sort of, they'd scored one back. Maybe the game can go either way. But, I mean, did he have five Mississippis? I mean, the amount of time and space that he had there to just uncork that wrist shot, um, you know, you just don't see that very often. No, with Elias Pettersson as his lead blocker, too. I like that sort of the, oh, excuse me, I'm going to run a little bit of interference <laughs> here, but if you snap it in, nobody will care, and it'll count. And, look, I got a kick out of the fact, like, the hockey gods have a sense of humor. To put the Canucks up 5-1 to one, a couple of nights <laughs> after, they had crapped the bed with a 5-1. Like, I thought that was hysterical, and yet they got it right, and even when Florida scored to make it 5-2, to two, like, what's the best way to ensure that it doesn't become 5-3? You make it 6-2. And tonight, they, you know, they just looked like they had a purpose. And I agree with that. And I asked a couple of the guys, and they admitted, absolutely, when they saw 5-1, you know, it crossed their mind briefly, but there was a real purpose to their game. And again, when you balance and spread the scoring the way they have here in recent games, like Bo Horvat had the hat trick in Detroit, you know, that's really been 
sort of the only singular performance in terms of goal scoring. Otherwise, it's just been by committee. JT Miller leads the team with six, but there are so many guys that have three and four and five now that early in the season, it was the defenseman, right? Like it was the defenseman that were chipping in and we were all remarking about secondary scoring. The defenseman scoring has dried up and I think that was to be expected. There'll be a few more along the way because this team's just scoring too many goals. The defensemen are going to want to get back in on the act here, but... Now it's guys deeper in the lineup, and this is where I turn the microphone over to you and uh, just allow you to gloat because, I mean, come on. Schaller has scored in three straight. He's got four goals. He's outpaced his total of a year ago. You weren't even in the building on Friday when he had the virtuoso performance of two. And I made the, the comment, because we can talk about Friday night, and then he backed it up with another one here, but the shorthanded goal the other night, like everybody was talking about, oh, he batted the one out of the air, hand-eye coordination. To me, the shorthanded goal spoke volumes about where Tim Schaller's game is, because last year, I think in that role, a defensive zone face-off on the penalty kill, like he would have just slapped the puck the length of the ice and been happy and felt that was job well done right there. You know, he identified that he had some time and space. He lugs the pup, puck up ice. It was a, I mean, let's be honest, it was a crappy goal. It's one that should be stopped in the NHL, but look, it goes in. And it was the first of two on the night. So he followed up the goal in Detroit. Now he's got four. This bet is looking so one-sided. Like, I'm going to crawl up in a ball here and cry pretty soon. He's still got to get to double digits. But, man, to get out of the first month, not even out of the first month, and he's at four already. So uh, I turn the floor over to you. You know, I realize that I've been out of the market for a while, but when it comes to picking distressed stocks, right, I have a pretty good track record. I mean, we're not dealing with a whale here. We're dealing with a sharp. I kind of tend to know what I'm doing a little bit. Now, Tim Schaller scored another goal, of course, on Monday night against Florida. But, boy, isn't it almost surprising that he only had one point? I mean, we're talking about a guy who had five shots. He had five shots against the Florida Panthers on Monday night. And he had that ludicrous stretch pass, right? A stretch pass that caused uh, Ian McIntyre, who was sitting beside me, to look up and go, who made that pass? And when I told him Tim Schaller, he almost couldn't believe it. One last funny moment from Travis's availability is he just answered a question about Schaller when another media member asked, you know, originally he was brought in to score goals. But, you know, how do you think he performed in a fourth-line role? And this media member meant Louis Erickson. <laughs> but Travis double-took and was like, brought in to score goals. <laughs> and me and me and Harm tapped each other and almost... I, I, but when Travis said about Schaller post-game, he said, to me, he looks like a different player. And, you know, that was sort of the nut of what I was getting at, even though, of course, it became elite fourth-liner, which, which I never said. And, and then somehow metastasized into this 10-goal bet. One last note, actually, on this is just to let our listeners know, I was talking to Schaller in St. Louis, so this is before he'd scored his first of the year, um, you know, and just talking about the fourth line and how well they'd played against Detroit in that last home game before they set out on the road trip. And, you know, I jokingly said to him, you know, well, I've publicly predicted that you're going to score 10 this year. And he remarked to me, you know, that's actually my goal. That's my goal for the year. So I had a little bit of a laugh at that. But since that conversation, he's got four <laughs> in six games. 
and all of a sudden this bet's flipped on its head. Now you're worried that we might have to go past, we might have to revisit the terms of the bet just to keep the suspense going. Right, and I've had some people reach out in social media because you and I have gone back and forth and have posted pictures of people chewing gum and people aren't quite sure. So I will quickly recap the bet, but like this was one of the rules of the Provies and then the Athletes is it's on you to keep up. Like we're not going to, you know, it's not like a, a weekly TV show where you'll get a recap at the start. So we'll do this and then, you know, you can play along and you can mock me or then when Schaller kind of goes quiet for a while uh, and you were worried when Mott went out of the lineup. Yeah, I know when Mott went out of the lineup, I saw you tweeting about what this might do to the fourth line and, and that felt like a, a cry for help from you, but your boy came through. But the bet was uh, 10 goals for Schaller and a pack of gum. So not super high stakes, but it all, it was born out of training camp when the first media availability, Thomas says to me, do you have gum? And I said, yeah. And because I carry gum around, just it's a good thing to do as a media guy, if you're face to face with people, you want to have good breath and fresh breath. So yeah, I cart gum around with me. And he, then he says like he had the gall to start his bidding at three sticks, which was so outrageous to me. <laughs> Like, I, I had to take a moment and collect myself, and I came back, I countered with one, and then he looked incredulous and thought, like, that was ridiculous that I would only offer up one of my pieces of gum, and so we settled on two, that's where it came from, and so, for us, the stakes are pretty high here, because uh, first day of training camp, uh, the battle was on, but uh, Schaller's off to a terrific start, and a big part of what the Vancouver Canucks are doing here, and, you know, Beagle has chipped in, and... You know, last time we recorded, you know, you weren't terribly bullish on Jake Vertanen. Now, three goals doesn't necessarily change an awful lot about the way he's performing. But it is funny. You know, he got a bounce in Detroit, right? Like, he hadn't scored. They go into Detroit. He's trying to set up a Horvat for the hat trick. Deflects off a defenseman and in. Next thing you know, Jake's up to three and he's off to the races. And it is funny what one can do to sort of alleviate the pressure on a guy. And he does seem to have freed up a little bit uh, in the way that, that he's playing right now. Yeah, and you know, I didn't look at the final sort of underlying numbers chart that you look over on Natural Stat Trek. But when I did check it after 40, you know, despite the goal, the Horvat line was still being out attempted and it was the only Canucks line that that was and that's sort of what I'm looking at you know it's still early but essentially Vertanen's played significant chunks with two lines this season and, and one's been the Horvat Pearson pair and one's been the Schaller Beagle pair and both lines have been significantly better when there's been a different winger on that line and when I look at that I begin to sort of side eye it you know results and, and goals, you know, just as I expect to happen to Tim Schaller, uh, are, are going to dry up. I mean, that's the nature of the beast. And, you know, when I just look at the underlying performance and, and Horvat's underlying performance in particular, uh, you know, I think he's best served with a different winger and, and, and so, so goes it. You know, when I think about Monday night's game, though, and it's amazing to me that Pedersen has these 14 points in 11 games, that he's clearly Vancouver's best player night in, night out. And after all of the noise, the pomp and circumstance, the debates about his weight, the debates about his strength, the debates about his death stare, the debates about his shot mechanics of last season, you know, he's come in in this sophomore season and somehow 
under the radar, improved his all-around game, been a better play driver, I mean, with better line mates and a, and a defense core perhaps better suited to taking advantage of his skills, but, you know, with maybe less magic and, and less cloak and dagger, he's been a better player. And when I look at the main reason I think Monday night's game got lopsided and the main reason that Vancouver is off to this start, and obviously it's easy to focus on the changes, and Pedersen was here last season and he played well then and on and on. But, you know, I still think this comes back to him flipping the script and really advancing what this team can do. Uh, last season, and, and he seems to me to have taken a step this year. And, and somehow he's done it with a lot less sort of pomp and circumstance than a year ago. No, I'm glad you brought that up because 11 games in, I don't feel I've left the building thinking I have seen, you know, 60 minutes of PD magic, and we saw that on a, a handful of nights. You know that that card is still there to be played. That is such a good thing. For the Vancouver Canucks, this is not a knock on Elias Pettersson no. in any way. Hear me out when I say this. He's a top 10 scorer in the NHL. After the game against Florida, he's now in the top 10 in NHL scoring. He's eighth in the league in assists. This time last year, he was among the goal scoring leaders, and the goals were flashy. And he you know, hit the ground running and took the league by storm. And yet, he's essentially at the same point totals. Because remember, his first 10 games were interrupted by the injury after the Mike Matheson body slam. And he came back and sort of picked up where he left off. But here he is with 14 points in 11 games. He had the slow start, like they all did in Alberta. He had four points through, or two points through four games. And since then, like there's been no looking back. The guy's had two three-point games, including the one against the Panthers. He's had a pair of two-point. Like he's had like big scoring nights, and it just it doesn't feel like, you know, he has hands down been the best player on the ice, and I, I do think some of that is goals versus assists and just the flashy nature and the way we all latch on to goal scorers, but there has been a refinement in his game, and I think, too, you know, back to the, the road trip and that defensive play that he made against Detroit. Like, it's not all about scoring. It's how do you contribute to wins, and you ask him. I mean, he'd be the first to tell you, and I actually I, I asked him post-game after the Florida game, like, is he enjoying this? Is he having fun? Because, look, fun was not a word that was used around the Vancouver Canucks last year. They weren't a fun team. They were the lowest scoring team in the league after Christmas. You know, it was a grind on so many nights. And so for a guy who is one of the offensive catalysts to be doing what he's doing and having it produce victories, like it really is night and day. And he admitted, yeah, winning's fun. And he looks, I mean, just the body language in that room right now, like they are, they, they do seem to be enjoying it. And, and I guess like I feel good for them because last year for the guys that were here, like last year sucked. It did. There's no other way to describe it. And the last four years have sucked. So, you know, it, it's a refreshing change. And, they're easier to deal with when they're having fun. They're easier to deal with when they're winning hockey games. It's not about us. I get that. But the job that we do, like, it's kind of refreshing to see these guys in a, in a good mood enjoying the fruits of their labor right now. Yeah, and, you know, I want to just tell a quick story. So, obviously, the Panthers players and I know each other relatively well in postgame. Uh, Vincent Trocek was sort of walking down, to, down the hallway, the Canucks side of the hallway, to, to meet and chat with someone he knew. He walked by me. We shook hands. And he walked back following his conversation, and he walked back past, uh, you know, the Botchford family who were at the time chatting with Elias Pettersson. Uh, and 
Troch and I had a joke going way back about how his favorite player was Sasha Barkov, right? That was Trochek's sort of line that he delivered to media. We talked about how great it was. We laughed about it all the time. And he walks by Elias Pettersson and he points at him and he looks at me and he goes, and that's my second favorite player, which I think is pretty high praise from a perennial, you know, two-way ace, 50-point NHL player. Uh, that kind of attention from your peers, I mean, that has got to mean a lot more than, than almost any praise another NHL player can get. But, but I, I've had a good chuckle at that. And, and I do think it's telling about, you know, where Pedersen's game is and the fact that, you know, his peers would watch what he did on Monday night against the Panthers and think, boy, that's, there's something special going on there. And, and clearly, clearly there is. Got to take a moment here to tell you about DoorDash. Long day at work, tough day at school, still stuck at the office. Treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Not only is your favorite pizza joint already on DoorDash, but there are over 340,000 restaurants in 3,300 cities, so you might find a new favorite too. And right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code VANCOUVER. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code VANCOUVER. Don't forget, the promo code is VANCOUVER for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. Was it strange sitting in the press box watching the Florida Panthers, a team you worked with, I mean, you were intimately involved with on a daily basis for the last couple of seasons, to be watching now as you cover the Vancouver Canucks? It was stranger conceptually before I showed up at the rink. You know, I, I was recused from covering the game in terms of the armies, as I should be. And, you know, as I sort of walked to the rink today, I thought, boy, this is going to be very odd. But once I got here, it was just nice to see all the people I worked with and all the people I enjoyed spending time with. And, uh, you know, I, I actually quite enjoyed that. And, and I will add the sort of wrinkle to that, too, is... You know, when it's a 7-2 loss and you're the PR guy, I mean, there's no fun running that room, you know. And, uh, you know, my, my former Panthers colleagues, I'm sure I, I wasn't in the room, but I'm sure did a great job. And, and genuinely, at that point, you feel for them, right? You just got to get through this. You got to do two, three guys and out. You know, it's a, it's a road game and, and you've got a long travel day. They, I mean, they're headed to Denver. Uh, that's no fun. I mean, there's no fun in that environment. And, and you know, that's one thing that I think people don't, quite get about life in the NHL, right? To have a good day in the NHL, A, the team needs to have won because otherwise there's a certain performative anger that you have to bring to everything you do, right? B, everything has to have gone according to plan in terms of the travel, in terms of the weather, in terms of the, you know, flight being on time and getting off the ground on time. And, you know, so when you think about like life on the road, right? say you win half the games, right? And say 15 of those games also include a travel schedule that's completely unencumbered by the logistics of life, right? You end up with something like 15 to 20 good days <laughs> over the course of a full year. And that gets exhausting. I, I don't miss that. And I will say that, you know, this evening's proceedings sort of put that in stark relief for me. Got to ask you about the injury to Tyler Mott because he's been spotted now on crutches and in a walking boot. They're saying at least a week, but 
you know, when you see them accompanied by those instruments, that certainly seems like a week would be on the short end of things. Louis Erickson gets plugged in, uh, contributes. You know, I was happy for him. I mean, it's been a grind, obviously. I don't know that he's the long-term solution there. Uh, you know, but again, we talked about the depth and the balance on this team that, you know, that they should be able to survive a week or two without Tyler Mott. But, you know, what do you do with that spot? Because Adam Gaudet is back up. I think a lot of people want to see Adam Gaudet get another opportunity. Uh, Brandon Sutter would have to slide to the wing to allow Gaudet to play the middle. And yet, you know, they're on this run now. I mean, 7-1-1 one, and one in their last nine. And, you know, a lot of times in sports, you'll see that coaches don't want to change a winning combination. Like, do you think Louie bought himself uh, another game at the very least? I, I think so. And, you know, based on how that Furland-Sutter-Levo line looked, you know, against the Panthers, and obviously they manufactured the first goal, but they were kind of all over the ice. They were controlling play, and Sutter obviously had a really good game against Washington. You know, at this point, he's, I think, got six even strength points, which is only trailing sort of the first line. You know, his shot rate's one of the highest on the team, and the underlying numbers aren't great, but they're actually better than most of the guys who've rotated through his wing, which means that there's sort of a baseline level of performance that at least he's bringing. And you almost start to wonder when you see patterns like that, if maybe a guy needs more help as opposed to being the drag. And I don't think we've been at that point in the Brandon Sutter conversation since he signed. And, and some of that's been durability, but you know, this has been a, ridiculous start to the season for Brandon Sutter. May have changed after Pedersen's performance tonight, but last I looked, he actually was the highest, he had the highest five-on-five scoring rate of any Canucks center going into the game against Florida, which is just preposterous. So, you know, based on how that line's performed and effectively how Levo and and Sutter have played on this short, you know, abbreviated homestand, I'd be pretty reluctant to switch that up. I, I do think the second line needs some more push, and I do think Tyler Mott brings a speed element that that fourth line is going to miss as as this goes along. I mean, they were playing at a rate that, first of all, would have been hard to sustain anyway, but especially I think would be hard to sustain without sort of that speed element that Mott brings to, the, to that group. Uh, but, you know, Schaller, Beagle, Mott, I mean, Green's been chasing matchups with them. They've been actually scoring, uh, you know, probably should have more offensively. I mean, that's been one of the two sort of mainstay groups for the Canucks. And, and you know, Mott's played well enough that you might even think of moving him up situationally uh, up to that third line to play with Sutter in, in certain defensive situations. And, I mean, that's high praise. I, I really think based on how he played in that six-game stretch between his two sort of mysterious injuries, uh, you know, I, I think it's a bigger loss than people might want to admit. And while I suspect at some point they'll try that Godet Sutter look again, you know, certainly you can see how, as good as Sutter's played, you know, you put Godet in that spot on the power play, there's some offensive utility there, and obviously there's ceiling, you know, there. So, you know, there, there's certainly, I, I certainly suspect we'll see it at some point. We, we kind of have to, right? Just based on where he's at, got at. Right, and look, for all the good things you said about Brandon Sutter, and and I agree, it's been a terrific start for him. He's not the optimal guy for that second unit power play, but without Godet, I mean, they need a center 
on that second unit, and Sutter is the guy sort of by default. If Godet gets in the lineup, he probably slides in and gets that opportunity. What about the way they've handled him here? I mean, he's played the three games. They send him down to Utica. He gets a little rust off. He scores down there. You know, he's proven that he can score at the American Hockey League level. Like, every time he steps in to the Utica lineup, he seems to be productive. It does sort of feel like, you know, the AHL training wheels probably ought to come off. I mean, I understand the waiver exemption. It makes it easy for him to go down there. And I don't think it was a bad thing to send him down to get some game action in if he wasn't going to play here. But it doesn't, on the surface, certainly make a lot of sense to bring him back up just to sit out. And yet, you know, Mott, a winger, gets injured and Godet is the guy that they bring back. And Travis Green, you know, kind of cryptically last week when they sent him down said, I think he'll be back sooner rather than later, which got, gave me at least the sense that maybe they had told Gaudet that this was almost like a mini conditioning stint. Just go down, get a couple games in, find their game again, and then you know we'll see what happens. Yeah, they do have to get games for him just because the thing that he needs to improve is that defensive game, right? And we've seen over the past five years, for example, with Bo Horvat, right? To some extent, it's just pattern recognition. To some extent, you just have to do it. You know, and he, the lessons that he needs to learn are probably NHL lessons because it's probably more about the speed and the size and the competitiveness of the guys up here as opposed to in the AHL where, you know, from what I've seen anyway, he just dominates down there. But in order for those lessons to kind of take hold, like, you need to play. So, you know, it's an interesting wrinkle. It's, it's a tough problem to have in some ways, but also a good problem to have if you're winning. And, yeah, we'll see how they get him some games. I suspect we won't see him against Los Angeles. But, you know, I mean, you'd think with him up here, you've got to find a way to get him in the lineup over the, at least the next three games once they go to California. California isn't what it once was, but it certainly has provided a challenge for the Vancouver Canucks over the last five or six years when they have been sort of at the, the low point of their, their evolution. So we know there are no easy games, but man, they should feel good about their game. They should feel pretty confident as they head for Southern California, three in four nights. And, you know, we're probably going to see a split of goaltending. I would imagine that a game in Southern California is something Thatcher Demko has dreamed about as a San Diego native and a guy that played, you know, in the Junior Kings program and those types of things. Uh, and, you know, he just goes about his business he deserved better in New Jersey when they lost one nothing and they couldn't get a goal for him, but uh, certainly you know, a reversal of fortune uh, with the way that they started against the Florida Panthers. But uh, the goaltending situation is going to be an interesting one to monitor uh, going forward here. But I think both of these guys right now have just, you know, they, they aside from the third period against Washington, uh, goaltending has been so, so solid for the Vancouver Canucks. I mean, it's a real luxury for the hockey club right now. Yeah, and we have to avoid doing the Vancouver thing and making a goaltending controversy, you know, before uh, it's warranted. And, and not to say that you did that, but, you know, I just, I just, I know the history in this market and we got to put it out there. But, you know, I think this team still has a clear number one. It's Jacob Markstrom. Uh, Demko has obviously been sparkling. I mean, 940 speaks for itself, even if it is a small sample of games. And, you know, he's made good passes. I mean, <laughs> he's keyed the rush. Uh, you know, he probably got robbed of a point there. And, yeah, the positive for Vancouver is they've got two goalies going really well. Markstrom, obviously, they, they described him not getting the start on Monday against Florida as a reset. Uh, 
I think that makes sense based on everything he's been through and the travel and, you know, the emotional side of starting every game and deal, doing that while dealing with, you know, a private family matter. And, I, I mean, ultimately, though, I do think you got to avoid letting him get too rusty. You probably got to go back to him pretty quick here. And I, I suspect they'll do that. I think there's a pretty clear pecking order here and, and a hierarchy. And despite Demko's excellent start, I think any talk of – you know, controversies and, and on and on are way premature. You know, Markstrom's earned this sort of starting spot. He's performed extraordinarily well uh, in the early going this season as well. And, you know, as good as Demko's been, you know, we're, we're certainly not there yet. I, I don't even think we're in sort of shouting distance of there. No, but the Canucks are in an absolute beast stretch of their schedule here these next two weeks with... Uh, a couple of back-to-back sets, down to California, three and four, home for one, and then Winnipeg and Chicago, or Chicago and Winnipeg, and then you have to hustle home to play New Jersey on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, it's eight games in essentially 13 and a half days. Couldn't have got off to a better start with the win against the Florida Panthers, and a big win and a big cushion allowed Travis Green to completely roll four lines. Jordy Ben was the only guy that played over 20 minutes. So, you know, like that was just, they couldn't have drawn that up any better. Alex Edler under 20 minutes for the amount that he's been playing of late. So you get the win, you rest your top players. You got this confidence now as you head for California. Do we think that Drew Doughty has parked what happened in here on opening <laughs> night? No, he ain't going to park it. <laughs> we know that for sure. Uh, no, you know what? This has been, even the Demko Markstrom thing may be a blessing. You know, when I looked at that schedule preseason, I thought, boy, they're going to have to work to find more than 17 sort of nights off for Markstrom if they're not making elective starts for Demko. And when you sort of reset that based on the first month of the season, obviously some uh, some unfortunate circumstances sort of underlying it. But, you know, now he's pacing sort of closer to 25. And I think that's kind of where you want to be, especially uh, for a team with playoff ambitions that are beginning to I'm beginning to side-eye them is maybe realistic obviously November is going to tell a lot more but uh, you know despite the sort of soft schedule that the Canucks have played to this point the cupcakes uh, which they've enjoyed as anyone does the fact of the matter is this is a team that's controlling play they're scoring a lot of goals they have depth and they've got excellent goaltending and pretty good special teams I mean we'll see I think this November is going to tell a lot but you know, it's interesting to be sort of leaving the first month of a Canucks season saying, you know, it'll, you know, it'll be interesting to track this club's progress, but there are signs that this club could genuinely exceed expectations. All right. Your mention of cupcakes. I've had enough cake. <laughs> I've had a birthday, a big birthday with round numbers. We saw the Botchford family. We saw the Canucks light up the Florida Panthers, and now it's time for some fun in the sun. Los Angeles, Anaheim, San Jose. We'll check in from SoCal with our next Knoxcast uh, somewhere along the way as the Vancouver Canucks uh, take this 7-1-1 stretch in their last nine out on the road. For Thomas Drance, this is Jeff Patterson. Thanks so much for listening to another Knoxcast here on The Athletic and theathletic.com.